This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello, and welcome to Woods and Waters Project Podcast. This is episode number 58, What's a Naturalist? And that is exactly what we're going to talk about. What is a naturalist? What do they do? What are their motivations? And in the state of Iowa in particular, my home state, what are they doing? What are they working on? What's important to them? How'd they get here? So we're meeting with three wonderful ladies of Johnson County Conservation, Marcy, Kristen, and Francis. And I have a, just a good old BS, get to know them session, what they love, what they do, how they got into what they're doing, what that looks like, uh, what's important to Iowans and what do they, what do they uh, get out of our naturalists, right? So I am pumped. Anytime I can celebrate Iowa specifically, I'm going to do so. So all my listeners, East Coast, West Coast, I hope you still enjoy uh, coming from the heartland and what we're doing out here. But I will tell you from my time the last few years of teaching and mentoring classes and all of that, uh, I have been really grateful to the folks um, of Iowa who really want to see more folks get outdoors. And I don't know if it's as prevalent in other states. I sure hope so. I'm sure there are people all over the country that want to see more women, men, children get outdoors, get out hunting, get fishing, hiking, foraging, all of those things. And I celebrate all of those places, but with Iowa being my home state, I was very excited to talk to these ladies and figure out what's going on uh, with our county conservation groups and what they're working on and what's important to other Iowans. And this is definitely the episode for that. So if you're ever curious what a naturalist is, what they do, uh, what are some of the interests and hobbies of some of our naturalists, this is definitely, like I said, your episode. I just got back from a hiking trip in Arizona with my brother and I talk a little bit about that in this episode. One of the girls is specifically really good at backpacking and preparing people for that. So I pick her brain a little bit on that. And I look, I survived. Everything went well. Uh, Arizona was amazing. And 
This is a long episode and I did edit it down a little bit for sake of time, but let's just get into it. I have so much to catch up with you guys, but let's meet Mercy, Francis, and Kristen. If you could, whoever wants to be the spokesperson for the group, introduce uh, what, you know, you, you gals, what you do. And then if you each kind of speak up and just tell a little bit about yourself. Yeah, Marcy, well, I'd we'll be happy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd be <laughs> yeah. happy to introduce the group since I lassoed them into this with you too. <laughs> like I was like, Hey guys, this will be cool. Um, so yeah, so we're naturalists with Johnson County Conservation. And so essentially um, we all have very different kind of angles that we take and even um, kind of programs that we each offer that we're passionate about, but essentially it all kind of boils down to getting ever, getting Johnson County and even beyond into the outdoors and enjoying it and learning about it and getting more comfortable in the outdoors um, in Johnson County and beyond. Awesome. That's awesome. And uh... Marcy, since we started with you, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are, however, you know, whatever direction you want to take that? Yeah, yeah. So I actually just joined uh, the team um, a little, I guess it's been about a year and a half ago. Um, and I came from a more of like a scientist uh, background. I went and got my bachelor's of science. Um, and in zoology and physiology and wanted to be essentially an ecologist um, and then went on to get my master's in ecology and uh, then practiced in like private industry for the most part being a consultant for like wind and solar energy companies um, and consulting them on their wildlife issues. So I spent about six years doing that before coming on with Johnson County Conservation as a naturalist. And I was getting pretty burned out um, just kind of in corporate America and um, getting really tired of sitting at my desk pretty much constantly for, you know, 50 to 60 hour work weeks and uh, in my basement of my house and not really seeing the sunshine. Um, and I got pretty tired of that. And so um, that kind of led me to think there's got to be something else out there and kind of came full circle around to being a naturalist because that's what had sort of originally inspired me from the beginning in Muscatine County. Um, their county conservation naturalists were a great inspiration to me when I was young. Um, and so I thought, you know, that's really more what I wanna be doing every day. Um, so it came, came back to that and it's been really awesome. Yeah, that is really awesome. And <clears throat> so I've gotten to know you just a little bit more than I have the other two gals. Like you came to uh, my women's archery retreat that I did and something that I was like like it was fun it was funny to me because during this retreat you know the ladies that were there there to have you know me teach them some archery related related stuff and all the ladies there were 
like so inspiring to me. Like everyone had this like different background or different skill set in some area. And like it was just so surreal to be kind of the instructor and have to be looked at in that way because I was looking at all of you in that way. And like Marcy, you in particular, when you were showing me um, like your nature journaling and like talking about some of the work that you've done before and things that you're passionate about, I was like, like that kind of stuff like gets me fired up. And I was just like on a high from being surrounded by so many cool women, like as you know, such as yourself and listening to like what you're passionate about and um, how it plays into the outdoors. Like I just, I just, you're, you're super smart and you're super wonderful to be around. So it is like very inspiring. And I'm just really excited that you're on the podcast and we get to like pick your brain on some of those things. So yeah, that, that event you did stuff was so fun. There were so many amazing ladies. I love that. We're still talking via messenger Yeah, me too. <laughs> about our archery and everything beyond. Um, and I, I totally agree. I was just saying, I've said this to Kristen and Francis. We've, we've talked about this too, but like how, you know, I'll go on a nature hike with somebody or a group of people. And I learn way more from the people that come on the nature hike that I'm supposed to be leading <laughs> than yes. I, than I do even that I could bring to them. So I totally relate to yeah. that. It's really fun to see how people connect with nature and where they've come from for yes. sure. Yes. It's great that we get to do this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, yes, yes, yes to everything <laughs> that you said. Like I, I am, and I'm most grateful to have stayed in touch with those ladies. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a few of them that I talk to pretty regularly, just either they ask me questions or I'm curious about what they're doing or talking about partnering together, because even though, you know, there's like, I have my strengths and things that I like to teach and that I'm knowledgeable about so many of them are so intelligent and so strong in other areas that I like just base barely scratch the surface at, you know? Um, and it's cool. It's cool to be surrounded by people like that and not be the smartest person in the room. You know, like I, I don't, I don't want that. Um, so yeah. And then speak, speaking of that as well. So like Kristen and Francis, I, like, I, I haven't gotten to know you two as well, but from getting to know you and we'll get into that. But uh, when I started to understand like your backgrounds, I'm like, what? I want to like spend some time with these ladies and like what they love to do. I think it's so cool. So whichever one of you would like to go first and introduce yourself, uh, jump on in. Fran yeah, Francis, I'll, I'll jump ahead. in. I'll jump in. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I, uh, I guess to give a little bit of background the way that Marcy did, I um, started out my journey uh, wanting to just, I, just knowing I wanted to be outside with whatever I did professionally. And I went to undergrad um, to get my bachelor's degree in uh, biology at the University of Dubuque, which is just like a real tiny private um, university in Iowa. Um, and I, I really didn't truly know that, you know, I didn't have a calling toward, toward education necessarily. I just really wanted to spend time outside and I ended up double majoring in biology and environmental science. 
and getting my hands on some, some student research while I was there. I studied Southern flying squirrels for a couple of summers, um, which was just amazing climbing up in trees and finding these adorable squirrels that many people never see because they're nocturnal and tiny. Um, so that was a really impactful part of my undergraduate. And at that point still, I thought like, I really want to do wildlife research and want to be in the field all the time doing these things. And uh, I, I did have an internship right after I graduated my very first job, real job maybe outside of, outside of college was a naturalist internship for Dubuque County Conservation. And it was just a summer, it was um, you know about three months of work and I started learning just through experience from the, the full-time naturalist that was there and you know taking kids fishing and leading hikes and learning how to design programs and I was still just honestly pretty petrified of speaking in front of big groups and not very confident at a, as a public speaker at that point. Um, and not really thinking again that I wanted to do education. Um, so I ended up going back to school to get my uh, master's in biology. Um, and I, during that time I had a, a, an assistantship, a graduate teaching assistantship where I was teaching labs for like first year biology students and zoology students. Um, I did some like anatomy and physiology stuff and through teaching those lab sections and, and working with the students, I started to really find a, I don't know, a passion, I guess, in, in sharing information um, and sharing all of these cool things that I thought were just really amazing. Um, with kind of the next generation of, of scientists. And uh, so after, after I graduated there, I wanted to get back to Iowa. That was actually in Kansas. I went to Hayes State University. Um, and so I wanted to get back to Iowa and I was really aware of the vast network of jobs through the county conservation system in Iowa. So I, I mainly looked through job, for jobs through that um, and was kind of zoning in on naturalist positions again, because I was really starting to develop this love of, of teaching and I wanted to still work outside. Um, so I worked, worked a couple of different seasonal jobs uh, in different parts of the state until I got a full-time position in Des Moines County, um, it's kind of Southeast Iowa. And I was there for three years before um, this job here in Johnson County popped up and it was closer to family and um, got to got in here and have been here for almost four years now. Um, and just loving, loving what I do. And, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of naturalists really enjoy is the ability to to teach to the subjects that they are really passionate about and, um, and kind of be a lifelong learner in that way too uh, and kind of see where things take you. So 
um, yeah, really, really excited to share some things um, during this interview. And I did want to mention one thing um, when Marcy gave that introduction of what a naturalist or like kind of what we do. Um, I've heard this many times and I don't know, you know, what all people who listen to this interview may um, have different ideas of what a naturalist is. I've had people think that they are literally people who run around in the woods naked. Um, and that is definitely not us. We are all fully clothed and uh, <laughs> more of a, like a teacher, I guess, an educator in, in the outdoors. Um, just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. But if there are, if there is anyone listening and they do run around in the woods naked, you could be a next guest on the podcast also. That would be <laughs> that's <welcome>. totally cool <laughs> too. Yeah. I'm that's not going to totally hate fine. on that. <laughs> Simultaneously yeah. be a naturalist and a naturist yeah. at the same time. <laughs> I also have had my mom talk to people and share that her daughter is a naturalist and they immediately assume that uh, I am a nudist. So yeah, it's just like a, more than... Yeah, people are oh more familiar God. today with the idea of a naturist than a naturalist, it seems like. So we need yeah, to bring yeah, that yeah. word back into back into vogue for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm glad you guys have like, that's definitely what I wanted to make clear and talk about, even for myself, because my idea, and I was not thinking someone who runs around naked at all, but, uh, you know, my idea of what a naturalist is, that has never been made clear to me. And I wasn't really aware really what a naturalist was until um meeting you ladies and a few other people you know just over the last couple of years like it's just it's uh coming from a I was a recruiter before coming from a recruiting background and I focused in the sciences um I worked with a lot of biology majors um and even then we talked about all these different degree and like career opportunities, you know, with these folks, that was not something that came up very often. Um, so just being so, you know, loving the outdoor space and coming from like that science recruiting background, like I really didn't know either. Like, I think like, I do think like hippie child though, if I'm being honest, like, but cause I, and I, I'm kind of like that. So that's not a hating thing. That's I, I adore that, but that's, uh, um, that's what I think. Maybe not like naked, but definitely barefoot you know, <laughs> for sure. We all have pretty thick calloused feet. So we're yeah. not, uh, not strangers to the barefoot. Yeah. Time <laughs> yeah I, I often think of like Charles Darwin, um, yeah. and like more of a, like antiquated idea of a naturalist. Uh, yeah. really doesn't get used very often today. No. Yeah. It's but definitely more common to describe it as a environmental educator. Um, and it's, it's definitely both, both of those things together, stu studying nature and also educating about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. That's like a good, like clear, concise explanation of like what it is too. Um, and I love that. And I, I, uh, that just, that just made me laugh. Um, Chris, Kristen, would you like to introduce yourself as well? Yeah, sure. So, um, ironically, I, didn't start out on my path wanting to be in environmental education. And yet at the same time, it's been pretty much all that I've done since I was 18. So I've been, most of my jobs uh, for the last uh, 12, 13 years have been completely tied to that realm. Um, for me, what really shaped my journey has been through youth backpacking programs. Um, I was really lucky to 
to get to go to these programs in northern New Mexico called Philmont Scout Ranch. Um, they really heavily impacted me. Um, they changed my desire to be a fashion designer at one point and an architect and an engineer. Um, all of those things were more along the lines of what my, my art and math mind wanted to do um, and shifted it towards conservation like subtly over time. Uh, so when I was 18, I started working at that same place, leaving backpacking trips um, while going to school at Iowa State University. And for the first couple of years, really just was exploring all of those realms, architecture, engineering. Um, somewhere along the way, though, I just decided that I was most happy outdoors and uh, switched over to environmental science. Um, I've been working with Johnson County for seven years now. and had many jobs preceding my time here, uh, especially doing the backpack guiding things. And that has been one of the highlights of my life is being able to share that deep nature experience and deep wilderness experience with uh, people of all ages, but especially what I'm most passionate about is getting young women, teenage women into that sport, into that pastime um, and raising the level of women that participate in, in wilderness endeavors. Um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of my background. Yeah, that's awesome. And for like so many different reasons, like so so Francis, I actually before I met Marcy and met you, I had probably been asked, and I think I shared this with Marcy at one point, I think. Um, I had been asked if I knew you probably like four or five different times by four or five different people leading up to meeting you. And they would just say, Francis, they didn't give me like any context, you know, like they would like try to describe who you were, like how they knew you. Um, and they would bring that up to me because I, I've gotten really into foraging the last few years. And so then they'd be like, well, do you know Francis? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't. But it just like for like, I think probably two years leading up to meeting Marcy and then meeting you, um, that came up from like my friends that are with the DNR or um, different like women's classes that I helped. And so like some of these ladies um, and their kids had, I think probably been through a program or something where you were there. Um, and they just wanted to know if I knew you because they knew either from like my social media posts that I was getting into foraging. So it's funny, like when the light bulb came together, like when I met you, I was like, you're the Francis that you have, you have to be uh, based on, you know, just previous conversation we've had. And then Kristen, I have um, like for myself. So with this podcast, I've talked about this a few times on here. Um, I just like love like well, like well-rounded wise, like how the three of you like have such different like areas of like expertise and interest and like how this all comes together. But I talk a lot about hunting on this podcast. A lot, a lot of, a lot of our guests are hunters. Um, and that just like kind of has like naturally happened because sometimes it's hard. Uh, you know, I have folks from all over the country that are on this podcast and like, so depending on what they put out there, um, I'm trying to like look through their social media, look at the stuff they write, learn, start, learn stuff about them. And it's harder for me to pick up on the people that are doing um, sometimes like foraging stuff or backpacking, like if they don't put it out there, right? And um, in connection with them, because I feel as an outdoors, uh, as an outdoorsman, as a woodsman, um, 
I am very much as attracted to like going hiking and foraging and just enjoying nature and studying it and listening to it as I am like hunting it. Like I, I feel very much like I'm both, like I'm very happy with whatever I'm doing in nature, whatever I choose. And the areas I feel very inadequate would definitely be like backpacking and hiking and like those things. And Kristen, I leave in 10 days um, for Antelope Canyon with my older brother in Arizona. And um, so I'm like going to ask a little bit about that on the podcast too. Of You know, I've done hiking, but, and I've done some trips like that. We talked about the Boundary Waters. I've been to the Boundary Waters before I've done that. But this like hot desert heat, hiking five to eight miles a day, every single day for a week. My brother's like six, three, I'm five, four. So it's like, and he's very athletic. Like you just, I'm like, I'm anticipating this is going to be awesome, but horrible for me in a few days. Um, I'm a horrible packer. I do not know how to pack light um, at all. And so like, for me, I'm just like nerding out. Cause I just want to pick your brains and learn so much from all of you. And I hope our, <laughs> I hope our listeners do too, because, um, these are just like areas in the outdoors that I don't feel as adequate as I'd like to be. Um, and I think that's, I don't know. I just want to like learn from you, get your advice, whatever you guys want to share, uh, about those things. So that's my, that's my rant there for a second, but help me Kristen not die in 10 days <laughs> please <laughs> um but yeah so going into all of this uh I'm really glad we talked about like what a naturalist is and what that means and the and the education that you guys are providing are you primarily it sounds like all ages but currently do you guys have a focus in adults versus kiddos or is it like community as a whole? Is it a mix of everything um, and everyone? Or what does that look like right now for like the demographics you're reaching educational wise? I want to jump in on that one uh, because it's been cool in the seven years that I've been here to see it shift. Uh, for a lot of counties, not that this there is a right or wrong way to do it, but for a lot of the different environmental education places, there's a heavier emphasis on kids. And that's really great because they can then change their whole lifestyles. They can change their their whole future based on the impact that they have as kids. Um, for us in Johnson County, we, we really view our role as more of community educators. Um, and so there's a pretty even spread of the pie uh, with pieces going to all the different demographics. Um, it's still maybe 40, 30 to 40% working with preschool to elementary, to upper elementary ages. Uh, but we will sometimes lead kayaking and hiking programs for senior citizens. We lead lots of just general adult programs um, for helping them to get into more technical or expert level parts of the outdoors, whether that's wildcrafting and Francis and Marcy are really hitting those topics hard or just getting them out on hikes and helping them to further their intense knowledge of plant ID. Um, so we do all of those things. And then we've been expanding our high school programming uh, through our wilderness programs. And we, we take high schoolers out to Idaho and we backpack with them for 10 days. And that's uh, one of all of our favorite parts of the job. Uh, so yeah, we, we really get to hit 
all the different aspects and even down to parents with new children, new babies. Uh, we host hikes with a partnership uh, with our local Hike a Baby chapter. And that's really cool. So uh, we can laugh with little two and three and four year olds and then also laugh with uh, 80 year olds that are getting in a kayak for the first time. And it keeps the job super interesting. Um, and every day is just pretty different for the most part. That's amazing. Like I, yeah, that's amazing. So as someone who, like, I think that's really special that that stuff even exists. Cause I, I don't have, I don't have children. Um, I think I would like to, uh, in the next like few years, but something I, I think about is with my lifestyle and, um, things I like to do something that's been told to me and, you know, now that I've gotten older and just don't listen to outside noise as much, you know, something that was always told to me is I'm not gonna be able to live even close to my lifestyle with small children. Um, talked about this a little bit on the podcast with some other guests too, and just like how they integrate being a mother with, you know, who are very, very, you know, very outdoors driven, um, with your kids. And so like, I thought about that, like that has to be, um, depending on the kind of support you have, you know, there's not every situation is the same, but I'm like really glad that that exists. Cause I think that sometimes from, you know, folks that I've met and know men and women, um, they want to be the best parent they can, but they also don't want to always lose themselves, but they also want to, you know, show their kids the outdoors. They want that to be a part of their lives. Like, how do I do that? Um, so I think that's really, really important. Um, it's something I don't even have kids. And I think about that stuff all the time, you know, um, and how can I be a resource to help people, you know, spend that time outdoors with their kids or help teach their kids, uh, the last three kids I took turkey hunting and mentored, um, their parents came with, and their parents are all brand new, um, to hunting. And that was like super special for me, but it was a little bit like of pressure, you know, like I'm trying to help them, the parent be successful so they can start doing this with their kid on their own without, you know, without me. And so I, I think that is really important stuff. And the comment on, um, kayaking with the 80 year old. So I did a women's fly fishing retreat a few years ago in Ohio. And the way we ended the event is we kayaked down, I think the mad river. And it's like, this super cool setup. Like there's just like these canopy of trees over and you start on one end and you, you kayak down this river all day. Well, the whole trip was amazing, but probably like one of my favorite, most magical parts of the entire trip, there was a lady there who was like 77 years old and she was just a firecracker. This is her first time fishing ever, ever had ever been fishing ever. And she's taking a fly fishing retreat. Okay with all these ladies that are about like in their twenties and thirties. And then she had never kayaked before. And this, and we had like the most perfect day for kayaking. It was just so beautiful. The trees were, be, I mean, everything was just like perfection. Um, it was amazing. And she's floating on the kayak and she starts like slowly floating like next to me. And she's just like looking up at the trees and like looking at everything. And is just as happy as she could be. And she starts to cry and she's just like I don't I don't know what took me so long to start living my life like this like this is amazing she's like but then I'm also kind of proud because I'm 77 
effing years old, you know, doing this, doing this for the first time, you know, and she should have been proud because that was amazing. But like, that was like such a moment for me realizing, um, like, it's like never too late. It's, 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 uh, you can still find enjoyment in so many things in life, like later in life. Like she was, I mean, as happy as a person could be. And like the pure emotion on, on her face, just from floating down. I mean, she didn't even have her, she never even like used her like, uh, oars at all. Like she was just like in complete bliss <laughs> floating down this river. Um, so anyway, what I'm saying is like those things, like these are the things I get jacked up about because just being a part of things like that and seeing it and how it like totally change someone's life like it seems like so small but like that stuff literally does change people's lives um maybe not everybody but there's somebody that's significantly impacted by like the types of things that you got you know like you girls do um and like of all ages so it's just like it gets me pumped up it gets me really really pumped up and I just think that's amazing and I'm super envious of the high schoolers that get to go to Idaho um with you guys like that was never a thing that I knew about growing up (laughs) that's incredible it's really fun having just recently come on board with this team like one of the things that I think is so incredibly um fulfilling is how and I know Kristen you and I've talked about this um like how hard you all have worked to shape these programs into being like more diverse and including not you know um, not just like a single age demographic, which often tends to be like, you know, grade schooler age. Um, but you know, in leaving, like in leaving corporate America, that was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to leave was, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy people my own age (laughs) and everything, but it's like, just, just working with one age demographic got just kind of like, ah, there's like whole age demographics I'm losing out on. Um, that have a whole different view and take on life. And it's really fulfilling to come in here and see then that like literally like what Kristen said, we're working with like little tiny babies some days. And then, you know, like um, people that are, that are uh, you know, in their eighties or, or whatever, another day. And it can be like one day to the next. And, you know, that you have that difference. And you're totally right that those magical moments of awe seem to pop up pretty frequently, I think for us, no matter the age. I feel like that's, those are some of the moments we're always sharing with each other when we like debrief after a program or, um, or sharing with each other a program we led the day before. It's like those moments of awe are, are like our favorite. Yeah. And, and those are just the folks that like show it, right? Like there's yeah. so many people that don't necessarily show it where it's like obvious. Um, that's just the people that you can see, you know, you can see that it, it's doing something, but I think it's even more, there's even more people that you guys have impacted that you might not even have any idea. Like, you know, but you don't really know, like, how did it sit with them? Like, what are they thinking? And then all of a sudden you hear that they're like, I don't know, doing this thing on their own. And like, that's such like a satisfying feeling of when you have someone in a course or something and you see later that they're still doing it or they're giving it a try or taking it a step further. Like that's, that's super cool. Are you, are you finding, um, are you finding at all 
in like any of the events or anything that you've put together that you feel like someone's that you're going to have a ton of interest, but then it, it doesn't like, it doesn't reach people. Are there certain things that you are finding that you're surprised people aren't interested in, or do you overall feel like you get general interest in everything you guys are putting together? I feel like we, we mostly get general interest in everything. Um, and for me, at least having been here for uh, the time that I have, I've been able to troubleshoot what works for me and what, what I'm both interested in and have learned the public is interested in. And I will either offer the same things um, regularly or tweak them uh, as needed or follow the same format, uh, but maybe have a little shift in the topic. And so I found a formula that works. And for the most part, it seems that the things that I am uh, am leading often do fill up pretty quickly. And I think that our community too, the county that we live in being such a uh, highly educated county and such a uh, a county with, frankly, quite a bit of financial means, uh, not that you necessarily need that, but it does allow more free time to go to nature programs, um, more ability to travel out to parks to, to, to attend these programs. As far as our public programs go, that helps, both of those factors help to keep attendance really high and often maxed out pretty quickly. I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that. I completely agree with what you said, Kristen. Um, for the most part, everything that I've kind of offered up has been really well received and those programs have filled pretty quickly. And, you know, this is speaking specifically on like the public programs that we, that we put on and develop. I feel like my biggest issue periodically is timing. Um, and, you know, I feel like I'm always trying different days of the week and different times, you know, evenings versus week weekends versus weekdays. Um, and you get different, you know, you get different people that can attend depending on, on the time of day um, and the day of the week. So, you know, occasionally, when, whenever I've had a program not really fill up very well, um, like it's usually like I had, I had a foraging program um, once that is kind of the first thing to pop into my mind that was on a weekday in the middle of the day at, um, you know, kind of a remote part of our county, I guess, like kind of the south, southwestern-ish part of our county. Um, and I had, I think, three people <laughs> that signed up for it. Um, but that's very unusual. Um, and, you know, in particular with the foraging programs that I've hosted, they've been extremely, extremely popular. Um, so I, yeah, I attribute most of that to, to timing and trying to find, find the best avenue to reach people, I guess. Yeah, I, I feel that and relate to that a lot now too. I I was curious just um with my experiences like with Woods and Waters project putting adult events together versus my full-time job uh with outdoor mentors putting hunts together for kids. And um there's a lot of like 
trial and error with that because sometimes for me things that I think are going to get filled up like in a second um are not always the things that get filled up the fast the, the quickest compared to things that I'm genuinely surprised uh are you know are full before I know it um on both sides with adults and kids you know it, and it definitely is a timing thing I was just curious um because there's a lot of being a part of like R3 um, and like the movement to recruit like outdoorsmen and retain them and reactivate them. Um, and just like the statistics behind like outdoorsmen as a whole. So they track, you know, the way they track that is um, fishing license, hunting license and, and different, different things. So that that's, it's hard because there's a deeper story there uh, than just the license purchasing, but statistically speaking, um, outdoorsmen as a whole is declining every year, but there seems to be a lot of interest in the state, especially, I think it's across the country for the most part, but Iowa seems to have a lot of folks that really want to get in touch with the outdoors, become better, you know, more educated, want to be involved. I, I also, you know, I'm, I'm pretty close to you guys. I would definitely agree that this part of Iowa, um, there's probably more means uh, to do those things. But I, I do think there's a huge opportunity in our state. If you're someone who wants to mentor or teach or help put something together, I think there's a lot of folks that want to learn those things. Um, and yeah, I was just I was just curious if there's areas or things that you notice um, on that side. But on the flip side of that, do you guys have certain events um, or certain things that you're like, every time this is a slam dunk, everyone wants to do this. It's, it's always a, you know, a full class. Um, are there certain areas of interest that you feel like are really high on people's radar? I mean, I feel like every time, every time we put on like even just hikes um, to get, you know, to guide people at some of our areas, those are you know, those are really popular. Um, for myself, I, you know, I mentioned the foraging, um, people are really into it and it's so fun to get out and, and do that and to show people how to, you know, harvest things sustainably and, and process them. Um, so that's always been really popular for, for me. Another really popular um, program that, that I've put on has been like woodworking programs. Um, and that's becoming kind of a bigger part of what we do um, with one of our newer properties we've acquired in the last few years. There is actually like a working sawmill and kiln and wood shop there. Um, and so, you know, I, I envision hopefully that that you know, continues to be something that we offer and expand into. But um, yeah, doing doing like woodworking projects with people, having them build bird feeders and, um, you know, barred owl or uh, yeah, like little owl boxes and kestrel boxes and bee houses and all those kinds of things. People um, seem really into the intersection of, you know, building something with their hands and also promoting wildlife habitat um in conservation i know all of us are kind of um you know have have our lanes that we are really 
I guess, more, more into, <laughs> we promote more. Um, so we probably all have things that we, we can expand on. Yeah, I definitely, um, just going back stuff to your thoughts on like things that you thought people would show up big for that they, um, didn't show up for, and this is a little bit different route. So it's like, not, um, I'm learning this wasn't a cause of like lack of interest, but more like a cause of lack of reach is um, yeah. one of the things that I dreamt of doing and thinking of coming on with Johnson County Conservation someday as a naturalist was um, getting like a specialized group for L the LGBTQ community. And so um, in launching that, I've learned a ton, um, but definitely had events with like zero attendance um, which again for Johnson County is a little bit of a surprise and was a little bit of a shock to me. Um, I had originally with the thought of it brought on some like community liaisons that could, um, you know, kind of help with that and they did awesome um, helping me but recruitment has been like really, really slow um, to those events, but I'm kind of learning that, at least with that in particular where I'm trying to reach a specific demographic and a specific community that really like our community partners, like people in the community who are already working with these groups is just absolutely essential. And I tried to kind of like cold advertise it without with my two community liaisons, but like not, you know, um, people who are organizing these groups of people already actively. And already since I started connecting with those individuals, we have like um, events that are happening that are like, you know, getting waitlisted um, now that I finally figured that out. So that was kind of like a reach thing that I just had to approach that learning curve and um, probably reinvented the wheel a little bit because I'm sure there's somebody I could have reached out to that could have said, oh yeah, like that's going to happen. So you need to do this. Um, and, and then of course, Kristen knew from reaching other, some demographics that those community partners are really important. Um, but that was kind of a surprise to me, at least coming on new and coming from like a different world of being a scientist and doing that whole thing and then coming on to like, oh, I have this idea, people are going to love it. <laughs> and then being like, oh, wait, <laughs> I haven't reached those people. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the timing and the reach is a huge part. Even the, the archery retreat, which we talked about before, like that filled up in like a week and a half. I mean, it was full. And then we had some overflow, which didn't surprise me in itself at first, like, so I had a, I had planned my first women's archery retreat years ago and approached it in a very different way. This is like before, this is before the podcast. I was, I was very much really, I had social media accounts, but I really didn't utilize them for much besides to show pictures of my dogs. Um, it, people didn't, people in my community knew who I was and what I was passionate about, but I wasn't really out there. And then the, the partner that I had for like the cabin that we were going to stay at for the first archery retreat I ever put together was, I mean, like, I think the archery retreat that like you came to Marcy, that was, I'm very, I was so happy with it. I had, I loved pretty much everything about it. You know, I, I would only tweak a couple things, but for the first like event like that, I was very happy, very proud and just in love with the group of women that showed up. That's like the, that's the kind of people that I, I wanted there, you know, like yeah. it just, I, I want anybody, but I just mean like everyone was so different, but it like beautifully worked together. Like, that's what I want, you know? And, and overall, everyone was very nice to each other. 
and connected. And I think friendships were built. Like that's what I, you know, envisioned. Um, but just like logistically speaking, my first archery retreat, I think was probably even better than probably the one I put together, honestly, um, in a lot of ways, like just the, the location and the space and like where it was going to be everything. Um, and nobody signed up for it. Not one single person signed up for my very first one. And that was kind of soul crushing at first. Um, but this is years ago, but people didn't know who I was, knew who didn't know what I was about. I didn't have, um, kind of like a, I have a partnership with like the Iowa DNR in some ways. Now they helped me figure out how to reach those people. Like they knew the buckets of people, the buckets of women that cared about this and they knew how to find them. And I just had no idea. I was like blasting it everywhere. I wasn't getting any likes or views. I wasn't getting much traction. I was like crushed. I'm like, I don't know how this is not happening. Um, if I, you know, I would have loved to have something like this when I was growing up, you know, to have access to something like that. But now it's very different. Now it's like, I don't even know how it all kind of came together, but I do think it's just knowledge and time and building up that reputation and figuring out what people really want um, and being able to reach them through different channels. Uh, yeah. But it's just, yeah, it's a big learning curve. For me, it's been a big learning curve. Um, and it's just, it's just interesting. Uh, and um, I was going to ask, as far as like your lanes for like the three of you, like having kind of areas that you love, like, is there anything in particular that you guys just, each of you really, really love? Like, that's kind of like your, that's your home. <laughs> yeah, Whatever. well, I can share mine real quick and then I'll pass it off so um I really um and Steph you know this a little bit already because you and I have talked about it but I really um kind of I grew up with like a small just kind of a like general familial connection to fishing um just regular fishing off the bank and then um had really no other connection to um other types of fishing or hunting and so I've always wanted to work on that and have that be more a part of my life and more a part of my girls' lives too, um, just on a personal level. And so in coming on with Johnson County Conservation, I had shared that with, with the team here, just that that would be something that I'd really like to use this as a way to like connect with people and get training and also then kind of share this love and passion with people, particularly who don't have a connection to it any other way, which I know I'm speaking, speaking to the choir and talking to you stuff about this, because this is what you do. Um, but like, that's why I loved connecting with you too, is because I'm trying to like, I want people who were like me, whose parents didn't hunt or whatever to get to do this, if that's what they want to do. Um, and hopefully turn it into like a food, you know, a sustainability food security kind of situation um, at some point. And then the other thing that um, I really like, uh, plan to do or have be part of my lane is like incorporating in like safe space for LGBTQ. Um, so that's another thing that I um, am really into. And yeah, I think just really emphasizing those things has been a, a big one for me. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I definitely echo everything you said. And a big part is the safe 
the safe space too. Like, um, it's been the last few years, I'm a lot, a lot more, uh, aware and, and woke, I guess, uh, to people not feeling comfortable in outdoor spaces. And as a female, I can relate to that from like a female perspective, but from a like social community perspective, you know, even as a female, it's not, even though I've been an outdoorsman my whole life, it's not always socially accepted depending on the groups I'm around or people just, I don't know, don't respect it, or I have to prove myself or there's moments of feeling unsafe. And, um, I definitely in starting this podcast, one of the things I thought about a lot was when I, when I started this podcast, I was listening to a podcast at the time it was my first podcast is about the outdoors. It was all about um, mountain climbers, hikers, and like skiers. It's called Dirt Bag, Di- Dirt Bag Diaries. And I would love to get the creator of that on this podcast someday because he was the first podcast I ever listened to. And he really inspired me to want to do my podcast. And something he talks about a lot is the diversity in the outdoors and, um, and uh, just making me realize because it's not my truth, right? Like hearing the, hearing other people speak of like, not feeling wanted and accepted in outdoor spaces. Um, it was like mind boggling to me, right? Like you're outdoors. Like this is for literally everyone and has been for, ev- for everyone since the beginning of time. Like it is insanity to me that it is, that is something that even has to be a conversation. And it makes me super sad that like other people don't, I don't know, just if, if anything I'm saying makes sense, but that it, uh, it has always been very important to me that just like the outdoors is for everybody. And so I like, just really want to echo that. Um, it's a safe space and it should, it should be a safe space. And if they're learning along, uh, if they're going to be in a learning setting, um, educational setting with other people, they should feel just as wanted there, um, as anybody else. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. <clears throat> I love that. That just, I'm drinking an energy drink right now too also, but my, that just got my like heart palpitating. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the, the last little bit that I didn't include is just like the citizen science aspect. Sometimes I throw that by the side because that's like what I did. That's kind of what I do. It's what I'm most familiar with is science. I spent years doing it. Um, and so it kind of feels like an old shoe to me. Um, but I also love it for that reason. So I love, uh, yeah, like hopefully incorporating lots of citizen science here and yeah. there yeah. into it. So I'm going to yeah, pass it awesome. over to Kristen or Francis because I love hearing what they love. <laughs> I'll go. Um, probably obvious, but my, my main passion is backpacking. Uh, backpacking, hiking, just getting people out onto public lands. Um, my pretty much my main pastime Every weekend I'm out hiking with my dog. Uh, I like to think that me and my dog know the Johnson County trails probably uh, are ranked near the top for our intimate knowledge of them out of the the folks that live here. Um, And I really like to help other people feel confident to go out. Uh, We do actually have a lot of trails relative to other spaces in Iowa 
Um, a lot of them, though, are pretty primitive, or you have to have expert knowledge to feel comfortable accessing them. Uh, and that especially is true for a lot of our county lands, unfortunately. Um, so I really enjoy hosting a lot of hikes. Uh, and it's kind of great because they fill up really quickly and they take zero work for me. Um, not that I'm opposed to doing the work by any means, but there are some programs that I might put five, 10, or even more hours of preparation into hosting that program. And I will get the same number of people uh, enthusiastically and deeply engaged as I will for a hike. Um, and that, that hike will get the same reach uh, and people might be able to feel confident to go back there. I'm sorry, I've got a cold right now. Um, will feel confident to go back there on their own and hopefully make that a regular place that they visit. So I do a lot of that. Um, and I've really just taken great joy in helping to establish the backpacking program that we that we now have here. And I feel like our backpacking program is pretty awesome. Uh, it took us several years, but we have all of our equipment. We have a really uh, efficiently held program. Um, we've been able to expand a little bit and had the bandwidth to host some small or one small other program for adults. And that's something that we're hoping to expand further. Uh, as far as to, to connect back to your last question about how the public responds, um, that's one of the things I find the main, the highest level of interest in. I can't tell you the number of times that people will either come up to me and make comments or send me emails that they really wanna go on a backpacking trip. Uh, they've never been before and they they would absolutely sign up immediately uh, if given the chance. And when we did post our beginner backpacking trip last summer, that was different from our Idaho high school trip. It filled up within around um, 24 to, to 48 hours. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely trending up every year. More people are just craving to have that kind of intimacy uh, with public lands and the knowledge and security to feel like they can go out and do it on their own. Yeah, that's that's pretty much my my main jam. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I'm not surprised by that with like the backpacking. Um, I know that's like an area that I just I really love that and I would love to do trips like that every year. And even um, I've always loved Iowa. I've always loved like what Iowa provides and um, from just experiencing nature, hunting, fishing, hiking, all of that, um, foraging. And I actually, I think I learned to appreciate the state more and more every single year, but on the hiking side, um, I think what's cool, but like surprises me too, is growing up, most of my friends and, and still now, a lot of them that live in Iowa are like, oh, I hate it here. Like, there's nothing to do here. There's nothing to see here. There's nothing to experience here. And I can't relate to that. Like, you know, there are amazing, beautiful places. You should go out and see the world if you can. Um, but I do think Iowa is pretty special. And it's really cool to hear that people are doing that, you know, with you guys and seeing Iowa on that level, because I think it's a beautiful state. And I think, um, it's just really, really cool to hear that people are wanting to like hit the trails and learn how to do that and learn to do that here. And not just, I know they're taking that knowledge and using it probably in other places, um, going other places with it, but, um, 
as someone who loves the state of Iowa, it's cool overall to know that you guys are creating opportunities so people can like see how beautiful it actually is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that especially in our part of Iowa, the trails are definitely there and I could, I couldn't really run out of trails to hike uh, with so many different locations to go by the time you recycle back to that, that other trail. Uh, it's still fresh and, and all that. I do wish we had more primitive camping um, so I can empathize with anyone who wishes that our backpacking abilities and our primitive camping was greater. But mm -hmm. as far as hiking goes, there's so many phenomenally gorgeous places to see. Um, and yeah, it's nice to, to help people appreciate that part of Iowa more. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. Francis. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I guess a lot of the programs that I put on and get really excited about are along the lines of bushcrafting and wildcrafting. And I don't know, like some of that maybe stems from like, you know, I think like, I don't know, a lot of people have that like feeling of wanting to be able to make it on their own and like survive without modern conveniences. Um, I definitely do not think I am on that level at all. Um, but I, you know, I enjoy honing, honing those skills. And, you know, a lot of the things that I do too are, I don't know, on, on a professional level, I really like connecting people with the natural resources that are around them. And, you know, that can be in the form of, you know, consuming something on the trail or, you know, teaching people how to harvest and, and prepare things um, for consumption. Or, or sometimes it's more of a crafty or artistic um, endeavor. Like I've, I've really, um, I've really been enjoying leading basket weaving classes um, the last couple of years that's been really fun to to develop and we had just recently on um, the spring I held a a willow basketry class just a beginning class where we you know went out into uh, one of our properties Cedar River Crossing which is one of our largest areas and you know showed people where the willow was how to harvest it and you know talked about the sustainability of it all and sat out in the sunshine with with these people in this spot surrounded by frogs singing and birds and um it was just really magical um i love i love being able to lead people in learning a new skill that utilizes our natural resources in a sustainable way um, and just really really connects them in a very tangible way to that location. Um, yeah, I just really, I, I really enjoy that a lot. Uh, we have a, a pottery class, um, pottery program that I'm hoping to develop a little bit more as well, you know, foraging, foraging clay from our, our native Iowa soils. And um, yeah, I just, I really love all of those, all of those sort of programs. Um, Another, you know, I kind of touched on it a little bit too, it, as a, you know, on a personal level, I really, and I'm kind of like a 
amateur woodworker, I guess. Um, I, I like creating furniture and refinishing furniture and um, creating whatever I, whatever I need at home out of, out of lumber and working with those tools and supplies. And it's been really wonderful for me to have that opportunity to, to do that um, with my job as well. And again, connecting it back to um, connecting it back to conservation and, you know, talking about the wise use of our, our resources, um, being able to use trees that have maybe fallen down um, during a storm and, and reuse them in a way where we can now make a home for a screech owl or um, make a home for uh, a kestrel. Um, that's, that's really cool. Uh, leading, I guess, leaning more into that, to the woodworking part of it as well, um, kind of the last piece that I'm really excited for expanding uh, on that program. We're really, we're in, I guess, in the, in the works currently to uh, develop a beginning woodworking class for specifically for women. Um, you know, we talk about women and, you know, other, uh, other demographics not feeling comfortable in the outdoor space. There's definitely that um, sort of feeling of discomfort in sort of like you know, craftsmen, woodworking, um, hardware store sort of sort of space as well, where where women haven't always really been um, welcomed with open arms, or maybe you know just kind of expected to not be in that space. And uh, so I'm working with a, a couple of partners, um, and hopefully getting getting a class specifically for women off the ground uh, this fall, where we will you know, use, will demonstrate the sawmill and show people basically from start to finish from log to a finished beautiful piece of furniture that they will build um, completely themselves and, and take home with them. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, you know, I think you kind of see a, a trend with everything that the three of us do where we really love to empower and encourage people to you know, feel comfortable and, and to have these experiences. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> I probably, I, I need to like be in better control of my emotions probably because every class you just said, I'm like, I want to do that. Like there's some <laughs> things you said that I didn't even know I wanted to do, <laughs> but I, I agree. Like, I remember when I was, uh, little my mom used to take me with her to like this basket weaving class um and I just remember like rolling my eyes at that and thinking that was like the weirdest thing and now I really want to do that and um just not really understanding like what you know but uh she's my mother's uh very crafty and so I just looked at it like from that perspective too um, but I think that would be so cool and like just deeper level. Like you talk about the clay, like from Iowa or like using the willows that are, are here and like using those for creating and, and like, I, that's, those are areas of my life that are definitely expanding. Um, like it, to me, it isn't just about 
going hunting anymore and like having a successful hunt like now um things I've been really reflecting on one of the kids I just took turkey hunting um every sound that was going on outside every every bird every owl every like plant he was asking me what these things were and I knew the answer to some things but I didn't know the answer to probably half of what he was asking and um I had just never been asked before you know and there's a lot there's a lot of different birds there's a lot of different sounds and things going on but that that is something that I think I don't know if it's age or just wanting to be a better mentor for people um whatever it is but I am like so much more fascinated by those like details um, than I ever was before. And that's what I think is like so inspiring about the three of you. And then like the women I talked to Marcy about, like at the archery retreat, for example, like just like little bits of knowledge, like bird identification and plant and tree identification and understanding like um, minerals and soil and uh, orienteering, right? Like <laughs> north, south, east, west kind of stuff, like detailed stuff um, to me is becoming so much more important and so much more intriguing than it ever was. Like before I just wanted the, and maybe this is a learning process for everybody. At first I wanted the nuts and bolts. I wanted like it from A to B to C. I didn't care about the details, but now I feel like I'm in a place where I want to know all the things right? Like all the details as much as I can. Um, and I think that's, what's so cool. It, it takes a lot of time and studying <laughs> and, um, paying attention to learn those things and those, and those skills. So I think that's, what's so impressive about, um, you ladies are really like any naturalists that are doing what you're doing. They really have to like there's a lot of detail there in my, in my opinion, because I am, I am such like a big picture person. So it's just really impressive to me, like the information you guys, you guys have. <clears throat> but uh, to jump in on that though, um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a cool thing because it makes us literally constantly have to learn. Uh, there's a billion, maybe trillion things to know in even just Iowa, even as Iowa's ecosystems, you know, they're so intricate. There's endless details that you can know and share with people. Uh, so it encourages you to never, like truly never stop learning as cheesy as that sounds. It's very, very true for this job. But also it, uh, I think it takes time to become comfortable saying, I don't know. And like not needing to provide an answer to people, but like, wow, that's a really good question. Uh, what do you think? What do you think might be the the cause of this? Okay, yeah, that's a great hypothesis. We'd have to to check that out more and research it. Um, it was a struggle for me starting out to feel confident doing that because I felt like I was inadequate as a naturalist. But once you reflect on just how much there is to know, it's uh, becomes more and more comfortable to just inhabit that that space of uncertainty. Um, and now I know. I don't know, let's say 20 times more than I did when I started out in this job, uh, at least. Uh, I, but I find myself saying I don't know more often than I did uh, when I was fresh. Oh, 100%. Because 
yeah, the more, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's so important. Like a a couple of our programs, I think do this. I, I think, I guess most of our programs do this really well, where there is more of an emphasis on discovering discovering things that are there but not necessarily not always putting a label on them um one that jumps out in particular with me are for like our birding program that we often do we 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 often stress looking at the characteristics and really observing the birds rather than instantly trying to figure out what kind of bird is that specifically and i think that's so important for for anyone um when you're out and about you don't have to put a a name on something at least not like a you don't have to put a scientific name or a an understood common name onto a living thing or anything um in order to find value in it and find beauty and and interest and you know i feel like it's something that we're we're born with like feeling comfortable with that you know we're born just experiencing the world around us and not you know not having those labels for anything um and just being purely there and in the moment and it's something that we lose as we as we get older and we're trained to label everything and have specific understood names for everything and it's a hard it's a hard thing to break um and i find myself doing it all the time whenever i see things out in nature i like i do want to know what is that thing specifically and like what is its ecological importance and who uses it as a host plant and like what are all the can i eat it Um, i want to know all these things about it um but yeah i mean you don't have to know those things to be out there and to experience it and to enjoy it um it can be part of the enjoyment later, but I think we just get lost in that. Yeah. I think it's, I hopefully it's reassuring to people that do feel so new to certain, certain things that, um, I talk about this a lot of, yes, as someone who's teaching or mentoring or guiding or whatever, you know, instructing, um, yes, you probably need to know a little bit more than your students, right? And put them in a safe ethical environment um, and be able to teach them um, something that they didn't know before. But thinking that you have to be like an expert in an area to teach or be part of someone's journey through that is just not true because it would just be something that you know, to be an expert in an area is going to take a very, very long time, or you'll never, <laughs> never reach that depending on what you're talking about. Uh, and I think it's really important to share that message. Like you three are obviously educated and experienced. So not downplaying that even in the slightest, but I think I like what you're saying though, about just like constantly learning, because I think, um, for the most part, people who want to learn, they are not expecting you, you guys or anybody to be the absolute expert know-it-all. Like very few people are expecting that from their teacher, right? Because there's so 
probably far removed from where you are that they're like, we just want you to help us get started, help my confidence, give me extra knowledge, like give me my, you know, my first step in the door. Um, I kind of, I've gotten in a little bit of like an argument with some people personally about this because um, sometimes I get the whole like, oh, you're teaching this? Well, I should be teaching this because I've been doing this 20 more years than you. And it's like, well, then you should be teaching it. <laughs> like, why aren't you teaching it? Because if you're not teaching it and you're not getting someone started, if, I, if we're just going to wait for everyone who knows everything about everything to be the teachers, it's never going to get passed down to anybody. This knowledge is never going to make it. And we're going to lose resources and special things that we love in the outdoors because no one's teaching anyone how to use them, utilize them about them. Um, and so I just think that is like such a big, a big point to make is like, yes, as an instructor, you want to be in good hands, but you shouldn't put the pressure on yourself to necessarily have to know everything and just appreciating it in itself and being next to somebody as they learn to appreciate it or see it for the first time is a really big deal. Um, so I just like love that like message and like what you guys are saying, because um, I am super passionate about these things not dying, right? Like I'm super passionate about um, more people hiking, more people foraging, more people living sustainably, more people understanding um, animal behavior and like knowing the importance of it all. And um, I think that's, like if I would have understood, honestly, regardless if a naturalist was running around the woods naked or doing what you guys are doing, if I would have known either one of those things, I probably would have looked at doing something like that in my life, but I just didn't know. And so like to, to know that you guys are doing this stuff um, and, you know, in Iowa is just really cool. Um, as far as, so like throw a couple scenarios out there. Uh, so Kristen, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start with you. For someone who is wanting to get into backpacking or like through hiking or going on these long hikes, right? Um, but it's kind of intimidated by that. Cause there's a lot of information online. Like if you look that up, get advice, there's just like an overwhelming amount of information. Um, someone who wants to take that first step, like what would your advice be for somebody who wants to get into that? If you had the, if you have the means and if you live in a place where this is accessible, um, taking classes, going on beginner backpacking trips um, would be a really great place to start. Um, places that host these are like REI, uh, local environmental education groups, um, sometimes outdoor gear stores that are smaller mom and pop kind of places will host those as well. But you actually can learn a lot online too. Um, I was lucky enough to, to be granted the time off to do the Colorado Trail a couple of years ago. And so that was a, uh, a shorter through hike that you can do within four to six weeks. Um, and I met a few different people on that trip that were, had never gone backpacking before. They learned everything that they needed to through YouTube and through online forums and 
Backpacker Magazine and, and things like that. Uh, there's some other great podcasts that are about backpacking, like Backpacker Radio. I listened to that a lot when I was prepping for the trip, even with my, my backpacking experience, and I found it pretty useful. Um, yeah, I think I would, I would start with all of those things. REI also has a great resource called, I think, REI Expert Advice or something. But essentially, it's just a really well-curated series of articles teaching you about how to use a compass, how to use a water filter, what kind of sleeping bag is right for you, what tent is right for you, and going through the pros and cons of each of these things. Um, and of course, also, if available, if a friend in your life has experience, is a knowledgeable backpacker, even just reaching out, texting them, calling them to see if they would be willing to go on a, a local trip with you or even an actual backpacking trip with you to help pass off those skills and, and share their expertise can be a really great way to get into the sport. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. And there are so many, probably for all the questions, there are so many awesome YouTube channels and podcasts and just like, there are so many resources, which I think is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, for, for me and how I'm wired sometimes, like I, I personally want to reach out to maybe folks like you or someone that I know a little bit, right? Like I just have some trust or some, um, they have experience. They can tell me for, for themselves, uh, what that looks like for them. Um, and just getting that recommendation directly from a person that, that I personally know has always, has always helped me. Um, and I appreciate that. And I, Kristen might lean on you more for that as I, as I, <laughs> as I yeah. go, uh, cause that is something that I've done a little bit of, um, but, uh, you know, like I overthink, I overthink a lot of things. Like for example, um, this hiking trip I'm taking, it's not crazy hiking all, but like, just like in itself, the foot gear, right. For hiking in like a desert like area. Um, I have like the Danner Mountaineer boots that I use for hiking and hunting, but like different type, it's a different type of thing. Um, and then I have like trail running shoes and I get blisters that quick and I like have zero idea what I'm gonna do for shoes and I'm leaving in like 10 days, right? Like I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. And it might be that you have to troubleshoot and figure out what works for you, you know? Yeah. Like I... But you're right, like terrain matters a lot. The humidity matters a lot. How quickly your foot will, like how, how humid it is and how much your foot will sweat and how quickly your feet will dry out all, all changes based on where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think sometimes you just have to, to work your way through the type two fun of a trip yeah. kind of sucking yes. in some ways. Yeah. As you learn like, okay, the trail runners aren't for me. I'm going to stick with the boots or for me, it's the opposite where I've struggled with um, pretty nasty blisters with uh, a former really, really amazing high quality boot. That's like the most I've ever spent on a boot. Um, and it just ripped my, my feet apart. And so then I switched yeah. over to a different minimalist kind of trail running shoe and my feet are so happy. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I had to, to find that out through trial and error. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do think probably in most areas we've discussed or talked about there is a level of, unfortunately, unfortunately, 
you as an individual are going to have a different experience than everybody else. And there's a level of misery you have to go through <laughs> sometimes yeah. to figure these Inherent things out. In a lot of backpacking trips, especially starting off. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I've, I, this subject gets brought up a lot in the podcast. Um, my boyfriend's been a trapper his whole life and I got into trapping the last few years and we just like were butting heads so much because I was using his traps and I'm just like, I can't do that. I'm not strong enough to do this. Like open these traps up with my hands. Um, and I just, I'm like, I can't, I'm, I don't understand how I can't do this. Like, uh, it was really, really frustrating. And he just kind of was thinking that I just wasn't getting it. And like, then I went to an outside source and took like a trapping class and used completely different traps, um, different manufacturer, everything, uh, that were kind of made for women or people with smaller hands. And like my boyfriend has like ginormous, like big man hands. And so like, he just couldn't relate. Like he just couldn't, he just couldn't relate to that experience. And it wasn't, you know, anything negative. It was just like, I just tried something new and all of a sudden it clicked, but I had to go through a lot of sucking for that to, to, to figure that out um, as an, as an example. I guess, but it took about like a good year <laughs> to figure, to figure that out for me. Um, and like Francis, I, I, uh, with you too, I know, and I'm just, I'm, I have been foraging regularly the last few years. Um, and it's almost been a little unnerving. Cause like, I'll share a little bit, like I'll share like the mushrooms I found, um, and I've taken a few foraging, like I've gone on some foraging hikes with some different groups, uh, with like Turkey, uh, Turkey foot folk school and, um, a couple other things, like a couple other like groups and I've learned so much, but I share about it on social media. So then people assume that I'm like all knowing, which I'm like, not like people send me pictures of plants and mushrooms all the time. And luckily I know enough resources to figure out so I can help them figure out and I'll help those people. But I am, I only know like a handful of things at the top of my head um, without having to, to research them. Um, and I find myself going down these rabbit holes. And what I've started to do is when I see something in nature, I don't know what it is. And if I'm busy, if I'm like doing it in the middle of something, I take a picture of it and I'll like come back to it and research it later. Um, for someone who wants to get into foraging, do you have a suggestion, especially as it relates to Iowa, I would say, do you have a suggestion of like a certain type of, um, thing, you know, things to forage for first, like a starter. And do you have any general advice for someone who's like, maybe overwhelmed and knowing like, can I eat this? Is it going to kill me? Kind of, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I love this question. Um, most things are, I feel like most things are not poisonous, um, but there are, there are definitely some exceptions and a lot of stuff just doesn't taste good. Um, so you don't want to eat it anyway, but yeah, as far as, as far as where to start, if you literally have, you know, almost zero experience or comfort level in, in foraging something um, outside of a grocery store, <laughs> um, I I would start in in your yard if you have a backyard. 
if there is, um, you know, if you're in town and, and know of like a, a safe space where someone isn't regularly spraying like pesticides or herbicides or anything um, where you can forage, I think some of the best things to start with are plants that people feel really comfortable in IDing from a very young age. So dandelions are always like, you know, starting with those weeds that you get in your yard that everyone tries to, you know, everyone with their like golf course yard um, tries to make disappear. Um, dandelions and violets are a couple of really amazing ones. Um, plantain, um, purslane, like really most weeds that will grow up in, in someone's vegetable garden that they are trying to weed out. Um, so many of them are are edible and very, very easily um, identifiable with like just a couple of key characteristics. And, you know, a couple of those might, uh, the names I guess might be unfamiliar to folks who don't garden a lot, um, already have some of the knowledge, but yeah, I mean, I feel like most people know dandelions and violets. Um, they're a great place to start. And one of my favorite guides um, that I often recommend during foraging programs is written by, by an Iowan named Mike Crable. And he, he is an expert forager and has, I think, two, two books out now. Um, he just recently released a, a book um, last, last summer. Uh, but the one that I usually recommend to folks as a starting point is called The Scout's Guide to Foraging. And it is, it's wonderful in a couple of different ways. Um, all of, you know, all of the, the plants and mushrooms that are highlighted in the book are found readily and easily in Iowa. And for the most part, they're very common throughout the entire state. Um, he does a really wonderful job of describing each, each plant or mushroom and then also includes some really accessible recipes in the back that are just really fun to start with. One of them uh, in there is, is like a dandelion donut um, where you use the, the dandelion flowers in, in your baking and I actually, I learned how to process acorn, uh, acorn nuts to get a flower from the nut meat uh, from that bucket as well and from speaking with him. Um, so I, I highly recommend that as a starting point, but I think, you know, start, start very locally, start within your, you know, little micro ecosystem that surrounds your living space and start to familiarize yourself with with those, those weeds. Um, it's also wonderful because, you know, many of those things are not native. Um, you know, dandelions are, are not native. There's so many of them. And while they have their benefits to like bees and butterflies, um, we're not under any kind of shortage for them. And so they're, they're wonderful one to experiment, experiment with. Um, and I kind of promote that in most of my foraging classes as well, just trying to harvest some of the some of the plants that are considered, you know, non-native and invasive, um, and just eating them <laughs> as a conservation practice. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think the, so I really messed up. Well, I, I didn't really, I mean, it's salvageable, but, uh, we live, uh, my boyfriend and I have only lived in our town for, I don't know, like six months or so. And we're like on the go. So we don't like slow down very much, but, uh, so I have been going, okay. So with the foraging thing, um, mushrooms have always been like what like drew me in. And it started with, I think, but a lot of people like morels, but I actually love finding, um, like, uh, hen of the woods and, uh, oysters. And like, I'm just like very motivated by that. And like puffballs, like I am like the puffball queen. I don't know what it is, but I'm like pretty good at finding puffballs. Um, I don't eat them that much, but I, I give them to other people and stuff. Um, but it's like, it makes me happy to do that. I really, I really love it. And then, so now I've started to get into some other things. I worked on a farm for a period of time. Purslane was like very prevalent weed, uh, which I found out in other countries, it's actually, it's, it's served in a lot of foods and is used a lot in other like European countries, I think. Um, and it's like a succulent, right? That's purslane. I mm-hmm. if I have that right. It's yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I'm like doing this pinching thing on the screen, but, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it, it tastes really good. Like I would eat it. Like I ate it multiple times while I was at the farm and we used it in, on some things too, uh, for like the farm to table that we did there. Um, but where I messed up is our new house. We have this, this little section closest to the road. that's just covered in dandelions. Okay. And dandelions were not on my radar for a really long time. Even when I got into foraging, um, it's just, no one talked about it, but then I read, um, some information on like its health benefits and like how good it is for like dandelion is so good for us. And, um, my TikTok, I kind of like hate TikTok for the most part. Uh, but now my TikTok is like full of like foragers and I like learn every day, like different uses and like how to use like dandelion, especially is like all over my TikTok right now. Um, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there is a huge patch of them in my yard. I cannot wait. I was looking up a dehydrator. I was about to buy a dehydrator on Amazon and I was going to make some like dandelion oil and um all these different things and I learned like uh how to fry them I have an air fryer like (laughs) all these things and then yesterday when I was going to pick them my dogs are growling at the front yard and the the town came through and sprayed all my dandelions in in, like the front part of my yard and I can go somewhere else I guess and find them but I was like building this up I'm like I cannot wait I was looking up what to do with the roots, like how to properly pull them out and um, utilize the roots because the roots of like dandelion are like very precious too. So I went way, I took way too long educating myself and I just didn't pull them and now they're all sprayed in my yard. Terrified for you. I know. (laughs) (laughs) They were literally spraying the dandelions though. That's yeah. That's madness. Yeah. They're never going to get rid of them all. They're I just know. Gonna come right back. And it's kind of bizarre, like in our yard, because we have like we have like our our yard is like a quarter of an acre. So our actual most of our yard, it, there's no dandelions at all. But just like the very end, as it gets into the shoulder, like to the road, there's a big strip of them. And it goes yeah. like down this the strip in front of everyone's yard. And they sprayed 
everything. And it's like, all I was, I mean, literally going to pick them yesterday and they were spraying them. And I'm like, no, I was so excited to finally utilize them. I've never done that before. Um, it was a sad moment. I know that a lot of people love finding wild asparagus. I've never found wild asparagus. People make it sound like that is super easy to find. I have never found that in my life. Um, I think I really live- gotta, you gotta look for it later in the season after it's flowered and then literally mark those spots yeah so that you can come back to that exact spot yes. because yeah I mean finding the spears like without knowing where they are it would be like a needle in a haystack yeah yeah there's a lot to like I mean obviously there's so many different things you can forage but um for each thing there are so many uses and so many like cool things that I'm learning that you can do or like use them for food or you know medicinal purposes you know different things um we just had a guest on here the Appalachian forager uh she was just a couple episodes ago and she was so she's so cool um if you guys listen to it or ever listen to her um she's really big on TikTok actually but she had never been on a podcast before and I couldn't believe it because she was such like a good speaker and like so funny um super informational uh but I think you three were all there when I said this I have never found a pawpaw before we talked about that (laughs) when I was with you guys yeah and she sent me um some homemade pawpaw jam I just got it a couple days ago and I was like you have no idea how exciting this is (laughs) so pumped up uh and she made me a um some tincture also Nice. From the pawpaw? From, um, well, it's made with uh, Appalachian moonshine and uh, old man's beard mushrooms. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> I haven't tried nice. it yet. Uh, it says it's suggested for if you're not feeling well. Um, don't use it daily. So I'm like, uh, I probably shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like between the moonshine and the mushroom, I like, I'm not sure um, <laughs> if I should do that. I haven't been brave enough to just try it like on a normal day um, to see what happens. But I've heard that they promote like weight loss and anxiety and other things too. It's not just if you're sick, but just with the ingredients, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> are just incredible I like so so relate with your uh like love of of all mushrooms (laughs) like I I love morels and like I I do love to consume them and look forward to it every year but I only find them accidentally anytime I go out looking for morels on purpose I maybe find like one or two or or none um I really really can't find them very well but so many of the other mushrooms there's so many edible mushrooms in our forests that are so easy to find they're like advertising to us right like many of them are like bright yellow and orange and they're like hey look at me eat me and like they're so so satisfying to find too because 
often it's like so much in one spot, like many times with morels, you find, you know, just like a morel here, here and there, they're not like growing in a 10 pound clump on a single stump, you know? Yes. Um, so that's always super, super satisfying. And I, I've more recently been getting, really getting into the, you know, the health benefits of mushrooms specifically and, you know, how so many of them will boost our immune systems and our, like, like lion's mane, how it is potentially helpful for people with like nerve disorders like MS and will like remyelinate the the sheaths of our neurons and it's just they're incredible um so yeah I love mushrooms and can very much relate to you know finding the finding the giant puffball um out out in the woods and and finding all of those amazing mushrooms so many people don't know that there are so many other delightful mushrooms that are honestly available all year round, right? Yes. It's not just yeah. for a like four to six week period um, in the spring. They're, they're always around. Yeah. There's always delightful goodness to find. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, those other mushrooms that we've like named besides, besides morels, I think part of that too is like, I remember there's, there's two state parks that I went to last year that everywhere I looked, there was like, um, chick, uh, hen of the woods, pheasant back oysters, golden oysters, um, couple puff balls. And like both these places I went, they were like everywhere, everywhere. And everyone's like hiking around and they're like, <laughs> And they're huge and they're beautiful. And I'm like, I don't know if anyone here has any idea what this, you know, and I had to like make, I almost felt weird taking them. And I, you know, where those parks where I could take them, I could, you know, I, I wasn't against the law or anything. Um, but I was like almost in disbelief about it because they were so perfect and so beautiful. And so like, like no, but and these parks were full. Like one of the parks I was actually, I was squirrel hunting um, and ended up, I shot, one squirrel and I was like you know what that's good enough because then I had a backpack of mushrooms and was so distracted by mushroom hunting that I just stopped squirrel hunting um because they were just so perfect uh and then one of the state parks I went to in particular I like want to say but like I don't want to say because I there was so many I could probably share but then <laughs> I don't want to ruin it uh there was so many oysters um I couldn't believe it. Like I would stand up on, I would stand up on a hill and I could just see them tree, 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 tree everywhere. Um, and I couldn't believe it. Like I couldn't believe no one else around me was taking them, but maybe they do. Maybe I just, maybe there's, they're just that plentiful there, but it's, it's pretty cool. Um, what's available to us. And I think they're delicious. I think they're super good. Um, but there's a lot of the and I'll stop talking about mushrooms after this, but, uh, the, the farm, the farm I worked at, uh, are a couple of our chefs and the farm hand there are really interested in mushrooms. And we started to, um, inoculate logs and start growing our own mushrooms there before, like I was kind of done working there and, um, learning to do that was super cool. But like on our bookshelf, uh, there were all these books and I, I took some pictures of them and I just, sometime I need to like 
get into them, but it's like the history of humans and mushrooms and like actually like so many benefits that we've just like lost, like so many health benefits of eating mushrooms that we have just lost as humans. Like we don't talk about and like what they can actually do for us, like from a, every part of our body <laughs> basically. Um, and just understanding that and, uh, just, it was just really, really eye-opening. And there's, there's actually some podcasts about that too, like different types of mushrooms, wild mushrooms that, um, what they do for our bodies and like, can help us, um, in so many different ways that I've just been kind of lost. Uh, but it's like part of our history, like something like way back in human time, like we knew that mushrooms were good for us, but we've kind of like lost, lost that. Uh, everyone, yeah. are you saying you, I want everyone to grow mushrooms. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You took a picture of like the bookshelf that they had all these books. Well, on. Well, yeah. And like, I need to like yeah. look through and see which books they all are. Cause I just took, cause kind of like my mushrooms, I'll just in the moment, cause I'm like a squirrel, uh, all the time. Uh, I do take a lot of pictures of stuff so I can always go back to it later in my life because I'm just like moving so fast. Um, and I think I saved some of them on audible cause I listened to a lot of audible books too. Um, just so I could, you know, that, that helps me just as I'm working or driving, get some more yeah. knowledge flowing in my brain. Um, but yeah, I love mushrooms. I could definitely, I would love to just constantly learn about mushrooms. Um, it's pretty neat. There's some cool stuff with I, that. I loved hearing that you have inoculated logs because I actually, we hosted a mushroom class this winter um and had people inoculate their own logs and take them home um That's and i've cool. been doing that for three i guess three years now of i've had like logs that are inoculated in my yard um that i'm getting a bunch of shiitakes out of currently and hopefully some oyster mushrooms soon and just recently started growing mushrooms in my house on coffee grounds and cardboard. And we'll be hosting a class on that this summer. Um, so I'm like stoked about mushrooms. Yeah, that's so <laughs> you cool. Should come do, you should come grow mushrooms with us. Yeah, Kristen, I would love I think, to. Or Francis, you should share the name of your program. Yes, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, is it growing mushrooms on your trash? Grow mushrooms on your trash or something? Yeah. Like that? I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> it was the best. Kristen like turned around and said it to me when she was entering it in the schedule and we just both had a good chuckle. <laughs> so great. Yeah. Grow mushrooms we'll on grow your those trash. Coffee grounds out. Grow mushrooms on them. <laughs> That's awesome. That, no, that, uh, when I was in the recruiting world, and I would go to, I can't remember which lab. I was at the University of Iowa. And was it like the lab that works? There's a lot of labs there. But there, there, I was in one of the labs meeting with a couple of the scientists that we had hired. And they had this uh, cooler of like all of these like projects that people were working on. And they were all, there was a whole bunch of them there that were trying to crack the code on growing morels themselves, which I know that I know someone has the secret sauce to that somewhere, um, probably, but, and if they do, I mean, I don't know, maybe, uh, but that was just like, so cool to me. I mean, 
they were they were all like on the side experimenting uh what their work that they did was nothing related to mushrooms like whatsoever but they were like all trying to figure out how to get the perfect um I, and I, I don't even know the technical terms really but like that was like I remember that being like a light bulb in my head of I need to I need to know what you guys find and they're like well if we figure this out we're probably not telling anybody it's <laughs> like that's that's fair <laughs> that's fair um but I think that's super cool thank you yeah, I, see, going. <laughs> I see morale kits popping up all over the place now like at different um vendors and stuff it seems like it's it's the word has gotten out somehow morale if kits you, if you read the descriptions under most of them though they're like we cannot promise that anything will grow from this. Um, like, yeah, I mean, it's still like there, there are definitely there, there's like certain species of, of morel um, that are more, you're more able to cultivate for sure. But yeah, I know I want to grow morels too. Yeah, it is. Very oh my gosh, guys, I'm Googling this as we're talking now. <laughs> morel growing kits I had no idea well and I mean it's like there's a few like different types of mushroom growing kits and you can buy uh interesting yeah I'm sure it's definitely not foolproof by any mean I'm sure like there's a lot of perfect you know there's perfect things that have to happen there but yeah um how I know cool. somebody not too far away from Kent Park who's attempting it on their farm. And so I'm really curious to see how she does. And then I'm sure Francis and I will be asking her a lot of questions <laughs> if she yeah. gets them to grow. It's to like, yeah, like microclimate wise, it's close enough to Kent Park that maybe, I don't know, <laughs> maybe well, it would work here too. <laughs> every year. So my, my boyfriend does um landscaping and like manages a mowing crew like for this landscaping company and um pretty much the last like couple of years he'll send me a picture and he'll just be in someone's grass yard there's nothing else around you know and he just he did a couple of days ago um they accidentally mowed over some of these morels um it's just in this like grass yard but it happens every year where he's in an open area there's not the dead elms or you know, the things that people say, which I think, you know, are great indicators, obviously, but it's, that always surprises me when they're just like an open grass like that. Um, and you're not, there's a, there's something smaller, right. And more micro at work, like, like you're saying, but I'm like, I don't know what that is. How do people, how is that, how is that happening year after year? And just like an open field, I guess I, I don't understand that, but. Well, it could be a cool history of where that dead old tree was. You know, right. like this roots still underground, and yes, kind of a fun true. way to look at the landscape and see it without it actually existing as it is yes. today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, Marcy. So, one. So I felt like there was so much going on when I first saw, like your nature journal, like when you were showing people, like at the at the retreat that we were at together, and um like that I had so many questions like in that moment and I know we were like in the we were just like all talking and going through that and I was like so impressed one I feel like you're a really good artist <laughs> first of all uh two like 
for some so this is like honestly a question for me like this is like a selfish question I feel is when I was seeing that and like the art that you've done and the things you were writing about like what you saw in nature and like what you were experiencing um like when did you start doing that and if someone for someone like me who needs nature to slow down um because that's what it is for me like I just like really loved what you were doing because sometimes I feel I don't take a journal with me I'm not I'm not doing that but I'm always like replaying everything that happened in my head right like I'm replaying the owl I saw and heard um plants I have never seen before um you know even if it's something I have seen before just taking it all in and trying to remember it uh could you talk to me about the like what what you do and like any advice you would have for that um and again I'm just like I'm sure other people are interested but selfishly like I saw your journal and it was really beautiful and I just like uh was really inspired by that and it's something I've never awesome. slowed down to do before um so could you share on that yeah some? yeah so um <clears throat> I think really I mean my nature journaling really started more as like scientific journaling in the field um and I might have I mean I loved drawing and art um in general pretty much all mediums as a kid and my mom um was really into like supporting that um and my my family of six kids was we were all homeschooled so my mom was kind of like would kind of see what we were interested in and then just sort of like support us with resources in that direction. So as far as like getting my, my artist's feet under me, I attribute a lot of that to my mom um, and my dad who would like every time he would see a, a piece of work that we had done as kids, no matter, I'm sure some of it was not that great. He would always just like tell us how wonderful it was um, and just make a huge deal about it. So that's probably where like most of my art background comes from very little like formal art lessons I did like a couple in college um, that were really enjoyable um, but never really um, I don't know why I didn't pursue it more to be honest because I really love doing it like you said it slows you down um, it kind of makes your brain stop and get a little bit more zen and pay attention to the details and um, so like the usefulness of it what where I found that was really like in scientific journaling so like if I was in the field and just would document things, even if I was just tallying the number of things I was seeing or oh, I just noticed this weird thing, I wonder if that's going to be important later um, in my studies or in, you know, when I'm actually like drawing up a report or a scientific study on this. And, um, and I started to see some of that actually come together. And I translated that into during my master's, I did lab work and all of my master's was lab work, um, much to my like uh, disappointment. Um, but it ended up um, being that while I was in the lab to, I think kind of satisfy my desire to be in the field, I was like, I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna take like really meticulous, like observational notes. And, um, and I just found like some satisfaction doing that since I wasn't outside all the time doing field work. And so I started taking like observational notes, even in the lab. And I still have my lab books for my master's to this day. Uh, kind of funny because they smell ridiculously disgusting because I had worked with <laughs> blue whale blubber <laughs> and the blubber just smells 
so gross. Um, I mean, kind of lovely, but really kind of gross. It's more of like a nostalgic scent now. Um, so anyway, I had just pulled them out recently uh, to look at some things in them. So anyway, uh, and so I think from notes that I had written, then it was really rewarding because notes that I had written in that lab work um, and little pictures I had drawn, uh, just little things that I took to note and slowed down to take note of ended up being like stuff that I published on. And so that just like full circle came around to me that like the amazing usefulness of just slowing down, writing down what you see, because you never know, you never know like how important that might be someday. Um, and so I love that feeling too, of like, not just getting to a creative outlet, not just getting to document something, but also thinking like, this might contribute in some meaningful way down the road. Um, and maybe it doesn't, maybe it does, but it's fun to think about it that way. Um, I've also looked at Darwin's like journals and uh, other <laughs> amazing um, scientists and naturalists. And I just always love looking at journaling. Um, Kristen, I've seen some of her amazing journaling uh, entries and I just love it. It's something about the meticulousness of it and the just like the array um, that is really appealing. So yeah, getting, but you're totally right, Steph, to get yourself to slow down and do it, I really think is the biggest challenge. I think that's really what everyone, you can talk about like nature journaling all day <laughs> to people, but if like they aren't going to take the minute to slow down, um, some of the ways that I slow down to do it is by taking um, photographs while I'm out there. If I don't have the means to have my journal with me or I didn't bring it or I forgot it or I just can't take a minute to sit down in the moment. Um, I definitely do a lot of like snapping pictures and then sitting down later when I have a second um, and writing up about it. And I'm definitely going through a dry spell with it and having like little toddlers and kiddos around. Um, it, it's harder and harder to get around to it. But I do think it's, um, I don't know, take pictures. I think people could take pictures and save them for years down the road. And then just like look through that picture and try to bring themselves back to that moment. I mean, I know I certainly can, like even what I was talking about with my graduate uh, school education and in a lab where I hated being, um, but like I can get right back there. I could probably take more notes, you know, in my brain if I just sat down and was quiet with myself. So yeah, that's, that's part of it. And Kristen actually regularly does some really cool nature journaling programming that's available to the public like here in Johnson County which is a great way I think to get people's creative juices flowing and force them to sit down like it's like if they join if they join that program then they just know they they're booked in to do that for the next hour <laughs> um, and I think that's wonderful I should probably do those with Kristen really <laughs> uh, but yeah yeah I uh <clears throat> I totally agree I've I've always like like to write and, and I go through these spells in my life where I write like a lot and then I'll just, it'll just stop for me. Um, and it might just be writing about like my life, journaling, writing short stories. Um, <clears throat> but it's something that like, I always come back to. And so like, when I saw what you were doing at the time, when I saw uh, one of your journals, a friend of mine had just recently gifted me a hunting journal, but in the hunting journal, it's, I mean, it's hunting related, but really it was about 
like the elements that day, like the, um, like the wind, weather, timing, what I saw, you know, what our limit was like, but there's deeper question. There was more, there was deeper questions there. And as I started to use that, um, I mean, thank goodness for pictures because it helps like bring all of that back. But I find regardless if I'm hunting or just outside or on a trip or anything really, um, even if you're not going a million miles a minute, like myself, I think one of the hardest parts and saddest parts of like trips and like a little adventures is it, it goes by all of a sudden really fast. And like, I, I think back to some places I've been and some beautiful things I've seen and experiences I've had, and I can remember it. Like there's certain things about each of those trips and experiences that really stick with me but it's almost like a blurred vision of like what I saw, like certain animals and certain landscapes. And it's just like, it always kind of makes me a little sad. Cause like, it's not, it's not what it was in the moment, right? Like seeing it for yourself and like being there. And, um, I already have a really crappy memory anyway. So I just really appreciated that because like, um, I think it would be such a beautiful way to look back because like when I read old journals of mine, even if it's not related to the outdoors, all these like memories come flooding back, right? Like things I stored away and like experiences I've had, like all of a sudden just come like rushing back to me. And I think that's like what's so awesome about it um, is recalling those experiences because I think that's healing in itself too, even without necessarily being there again. Um, but also just like as an outdoorsman, uh, you know, little things like when I started tracking, when I started tracking, like what the wind was like that day. Okay. So like, as it relates to hunting, if you go hunting for the same game multiple times and you're talking about what the weather was like, and the elements were like that day, and you're looking at what was successful, what wasn't, but not only those things, you're also looking at you, like you're talking about the behavior of the animals, like how they acted regardless if it's hunting or not, it's like fascinating to look back because there's so much to learn from that. Um, what makes something a successful hunt, or even if you're not into hunting, um, just observing animals and in, in themselves and like what they're doing is so cool. Um, and there's a lot to learn about that. And, um, I just like totally agree with you, uh, with what you said. And I just think it was really cool. And it's something I want to implement more into, my life. I, I really suck at drawing. Um, but maybe I'll get better <laughs> if I'm practicing more often. So I just thought that was really cool. And it's something from a passing it on perspective, which I mentioned earlier is hopefully like my, my like heart would think, I hope someone finds that someday and they like learn something from it and they can look back at what it was like in two, you know, 2022 or whatever year it was, um, and be like, wow, it was like that back then. Like, cause I just feel unfortunately, unfortunately our earth is changing so much all the time and some beautiful things we have now might not be in a few years. So I just think that's also really important too. That's one of my favorite things to nature journaling about is tracking the phenology and really getting down in my record, when do I hear the first um, 
the first chorus frogs in Johnson County or the first red-winged blackbird or when does the spider wart bloom or the, um, I don't know what other metric I, I'll use, when the first freeze. Uh, it's really interesting and I think it will be interesting and perhaps sad uh, going forward in my life to see how these things have changed uh, through climate change and, and hopefully, hopefully not too dramatically, but yeah, I think it's really important to keep those records. Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, you know, I've already had you guys on here forever. Uh, it's gone by like really fast. I don't want to like keep you. I didn't even realize it was after four o'clock until a second ago. Uh, but on the subject of climate change, that is definitely something I've wanted to deep dive more into on this podcast and talk about at some point. Um, and because for a while, as like a young adult, the talk of it used to get downplayed so much and people would just like think it was not real. Um, and the side effects, if it is real are so <clears throat> minimal and it was just downplayed a lot. Like it just wasn't taken seriously. Uh, I feel like there's a lot more information out there and there's a lot more people advocating for it than there ever was before, which is great. Um, but there's so many things to like unpack and understand there. And is, you know, I know Marcy, like you have like a background, a background in that too. Um, but as far as like what you guys are doing now, does that come up a lot in like your teachings? Is it something you guys talk about a lot? Uh, what does that look like in conversations in, in Iowa? Like, is that something that um, gets brought up? I mean, is it, is it a concern, you know, like locally, like in our state, I, I guess, uh, educate me. I'm not sure. I'd say that all of us probably try to tie it in when we can into our programs uh, without the tenor or the, the tone of the program being brought down too, too low. Sometimes it is a depressing outlook for different species that we might be really focusing on in our, our program, uh, but we still make it a mission and it's actually part of our, our overall strategic plan to continuously center our operations um, and our education on climate change education and climate change mitigation. Um, in this community, there isn't really any, any pushback, but I'm sure that I mean, a lot of listeners will probably relate to perhaps getting into different Facebook arguments with uh, you know, the classic stereotype of commenting on something on your uncle's Facebook page. Never a good idea. Um, been there recently and it wasn't, wasn't pretty with the amount of misinformation that was being spread. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we have had to think about it a lot more just with how it impacts the actual operations of our job. Like just recently, Francis was hosting a, a field trip in a part of the forest that had been pretty he heavily hit by the derecho a couple of years ago. And we know that derecho, that derecho in particular and more extreme winds are a result of climate change. And we'll see increasing, increasingly high winds in our part of the country as an effect of climate change. Um, so 
it hasn't been something that we had to think about before, but now we have to think about, is it safe to go into the forest right now? Uh, one, from any new wind damage, but two, from leftover damage of trees that were severely weakened from the derecho that we don't want to be underneath as they continue to come down even two years later. Uh, so we're you know, formulating what is our, our wind policy? When can we not go into the forest because it's too unsafe because we've got 60 mile an hour winds? Or right now, you know, we have 50 degree days that are too cold. Like we've never really had to cancel wetland programs in the first week of May because it's just too cold to get little fingers down into to the water. But that was a decision that we made last week was to cancel those programs and to switch it out to something that was more appropriate. And then tomorrow or next week, we'll slingshot to 90 degrees. That's so just such a bizarre thing to, to think about. Um, and that is a, a particular challenge, especially in Iowa, is, is dealing with extreme heat when we teach, especially in prairie areas. Kids just really wilt uh, in that kind of heat. Uh, so we even tailor our programs to be uh, more morning focused, anytime where there's extreme heat expected. Um, when we can, or when we can't do that, like we need to figure out how we can incorporate water or uh, get them to a forest, which we don't really have a ton of great forests uh, for our land holdings, at least at this time, that we have some that we can utilize that aren't full of poison ivy. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something that factors heavily and increasingly so into how we do our jobs. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, <clears throat> thank you for that. And I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, there's a public area near me that I take my dog and we and we and we walk through but like it's been severely um, there are a lot of uh, <laughs> knocked over old trees um, and not so old trees. And there are quite a few that looking at them, um, it kind of, it, it sketches me out pretty bad to walk in there sometimes because some of them are, I mean, they, they're on the edge. <laughs> they need to be taken down. Um, uh, cause someone will probably get severely hurt. These are huge old, old trees. Um, and yeah, I just, I think about that. I know it's a, a lot of the change we'll see is very gradual, but when we look back on just our lifetimes, it's not going to be so gradual, just like in a person's lifetime, like how much change we'll see, like hot, you know, hotter days, more drought, more, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I'm not educated enough in this, but, but in just the time outside that I try to, you know, as much time as I try to spend outside um, and like different elements and like, uh, just like this, this turkey hunting season, that's like a whole thing. Like I would love if you guys know, like a turkey uh, specific, like biologist who would want to get on this podcast and talk about this with me. I would really love to have this conversation um, because between like their behavior, turkey numbers are down. Um, there's a lot of things there. There's a lot of layers there. I would love to have that conversation because it's something I noticed um, that it's just clearly something's different and it's not necessarily a positive thing. Like, and I don't know what I can do about it um, from a hunting perspective or from like, just like a nature, uh, like wildlife perspective, like what can I look for? How can I help? How can I make this um, 
<laughs> how can I make this better? Because I'm seeing, I'm seeing that this is an obvious, like this is going in a bad direction. Um, we have a guest coming on here pretty soon who's going to talk about, you guys might know him, um, talk about like Gray Fox in the area. Um, Gray Fox are, you know, they're native to here, but um, it's very rare to see them. Uh, they're, it is legal to trap them, but the trapping numbers uh, for years have been like less than one trapped. Um, and so, uh, talking about, you know, stuff like that. And I'm sure there's things related to climate change, but just overall, uh, so many things that impact different animals and different wildlife, right? And seeing seeing it go in a negative direction. Um, but I could go down that again, rabbit hole for forever. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm so grateful for you ladies to be on the podcast and I feel like we just like scratched the surface of your knowledge and what you do and what you're doing for Iowa um, and the folks that live here and just like educating them and giving them a place where they feel safe and seen and that they can be um, a part of these outdoor spaces. Like that's really important work. And I'm really grateful to have, <laughs> have you like nearby and know people have resources like you and um, thank you so much. And if you guys have any uh, parting words of wisdom or anything, uh, ha have at it if you do. I just wanted to say thanks for having us on stuff. This is really fun. Good, good. Thank you. I've I had a that, lot of fun. I hope that uh, your listeners are inspired to take a hike this weekend. Yes. Thank you guys so much for being here. As always, I appreciate the heck out of you. Leave us a review, reach out to me, ask questions, ideas for the podcast, uh, interested in the events, reach out to me, check in, give me feedback. I want to hear all of it. And I'm so grateful for every single one of you for listening, whether you're new or you've been here since the beginning. I love you. I appreciate you. And until next time, get out there.